Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Hello, hello, good morning. Good morning, good morning. So great to be here um, with y'all, able to be up here. Pastor Tim is taking some much needed rest. Um, so he is away with his, with his brother. So he's having a, a good time. So just pray for his safety and, and just that he can relax and have kind of some shalom. Um, so today we're gonna kick right in because I've got a lot to say. And how about though, those seniors? Can we just say yes? Yes, don't you, I just, I love that we get to be part of a church that, that welcomes the babies and prays over them, says amen to the seniors and prays over them, over all that is ahead. Because as they go out into life, into the real world, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. And the community here in saying yes and amen to all the promises over your life. And those young people have been very invested here for a long time. So we're so proud of y'all. So we're gonna kick right into the powerhouse, the powerhouse. How can the church be a house of power? How can I house power? We live in a day where it feels like darkness is accelerating at an all too rapid rate. Here's the thing though, light carries power. Light carries power. If I, if all the lights went out in here, all the, the upper lights, the projector lights, if everything went out and it was completely dark, we would say the power's out, right? First world problems. We would say the power's out. That would be our language. There's only darkness in a room because there's an absence of light. It's not because darkness won. It's because light hasn't entered the room yet. Light can't fight with darkness. It obliterates it. It doesn't fight with darkness. Light does not have to ask darkness to leave. <laughs> we can't hide in a room that's full of light. You put me somewhere on this stage, anywhere I am on this stage because there's lights on, I'm gonna be in some form of light. You can't hide from light when light is in the room. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Right? We are. And because of that, we carry his power and his light. See, it doesn't matter how fast it feels like the darkness is accelerating because we are light carriers. Therefore, when we walk into a room, light shines because of him. Darkness does not win. We are literal houses of power. Therefore, this is a powerhouse. So if I have the light of the world in me, then are we the church of power? God, we lay it all before you today. 
only because of you and by you. Thank you that you are good and faithful. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need. You have housed us with power. The lights are on. May it be all for your glory as we join our hearts and minds together with what you have to say today, only your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're gonna talk about a really beautiful story. It's found in Acts 3. We're gonna talk about Acts 3 and 4. We're gonna talk a little bit about this scripture. We're gonna go straight in. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. They were going for prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. It's noted that this gate is called Beautiful because it's 75 feet high, 60 feet wide, and is made of bronze. The man was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts with them, walking and jumping and praising God. He didn't stay where he was. He didn't stay where he was. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? He points them back to Jesus, only by the name of Jesus. So what makes a powerful church? What makes a powerhouse? His presence. His presence is here. His presence is in you. So when you walk in the room, you carry His presence. So His presence is always child of God. Prayer, passion, and praise. Those places in us that are an offering to our Lord. Let's talk about some of this scripture. It's in here for a reason. You know, there's a lot that is not in scripture. Like, you know, we didn't hear the whole of that story. You know, we couldn't have in 12 verses. But the pieces that are there, let's take note of those. So three in the afternoon, that's a very specific time. In Acts three, we learn about three in the afternoon. Peter and John walking through. Luke is... Surely there, because he's writing it, but he's talking about Peter and John. And I just feel like in that moment, he's saying, hey, let me remind you who you are, man who's sitting on a mat, begging. Better yet, let me tell you who you are in case no one ever has. 
Let me tell you that God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, He's the God of turnarounds. He's come to do something really beautiful today with your story. Because let me tell you, sickness is not it. That's not where the exclamation mark goes. There's more. And I'm gonna show you. Will you trust him? In the name of Jesus, walk. At three in the afternoon, everything changed for this man. <laughs> At three in the afternoon, everything changed for us. Three days later, it continued to change. Matthew 27 reads this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom in two. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. That was a game changer. Death to life. So often we can think in that story, why was there darkness from 12 to three when Jesus was still alive? Why didn't darkness fall at three when Jesus passed? Hmm. Because light shone on his death a foreshadowing that he would live again. Darkness doesn't win. Power in him, light shines, Jesus is alive. That's the story. Because we know three days later, he rose again. That we might have eternity with him forever and ever and ever, singing around his throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty our adoration and affection toward him. Light returned at three. The healing for the man came at three. Wholeness, the number three. Wholeness came for us all. Maybe some of you this week wanna make a prophetic declarative statement at three o'clock. You know, Peter and John were going into the temple at three. We know that because Luke decided that was important to write. Jesus died on the cross for our sins at three. So maybe today, maybe this week at three o'clock, set an alarm and say, oh, for my family, they're gonna receive wholeness, for healing, for salvation, for prodigals to come home, for miracles, for breakthrough. What if we were that kind of church? They said, oh, it's a new day. It's a new day. And I'm gonna pray all day, but at three, oh, a unified voice going up to the feet of Jesus, laid before his throne, saying, here, God, is every part of me. I'm laying it all down. And I'm leaving it there, trusting that you will do what only you can do. Presence in prayer, trust in faith. 
that God is breaking in and breaking through. Then you have Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust, trust. Look, there's a lot in this world that I don't get. A lot. I'm not called to. I'm called to trust Him. With every part of me, with everything I've got, I'm gonna trust you. Even when I don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense, I'm gonna trust you because you are good and you are faithful. You do not leave us or forsake us, his word says. So whatever the enemy has tried to mock in your life, distract, hold you back from, I promise you that will become your testimony in the mighty name of Jesus. It will. I've seen it too many times. He is faithful and he is good. You just keep doing the next step and the next step. Trusting in the holy mighty name of a good God. See, the ugly of that gate became a wonder. It became a wonder. That gate called beautiful because oh, how the enemy loves to mock. But we have a choice. We have a choice to either sit at the gate or I'm gonna jump and praise him in the temple courts. We get a choice, church. Then you have this place of beggars. In those days, if you were lame, you were given a special mat, special clothes, it was like a government seal that you could earn your money by begging. Those who were well or healthy in whatever way, they would not be allowed that. And so these men, carried him in. I don't really know how I feel about these men. I'm sure they just thought they were trying to do the the next right thing for this fella and help him earn his keep. But also they kept taking him back to the gate. Here's what David writes in Psalm 37. I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Begging is not your inheritance or your portion. Hear me say that, church. I don't have to, oh God, but. Oh, he knows. He knows. And the righteous are never forsaken. They just are not. Let his word be true. Here's something else I would suggest if you will allow me. Be careful calling people, friends. Be careful calling a church your church who will keep carrying you back to the same place over and over and over. Be careful calling people who will profit off of your pain. That's not the call of the church. That's not the call of your friends the people that you align yourself with. I don't need people leaving me where I'm at. I did a mighty fine job on my own getting myself here. I need people who are gonna say, hey, look up. He's got something for you. That's not who you are. Let me remind you who you are. 
child of mine. I need my pastor, I need my church, I need my friends to say, hey, wake up sleeper. It's time to rise and let Christ shine in you again. Where have you been? You fell asleep for a minute, it's okay. Just wake up. You know what else I need? I need people who are gonna literally rip the roof off of a building to get me to the feet of Jesus versus those who are gonna keep sitting me at the gate. I don't need to stay at the gate. I need to get into the temple courts. I need to get to the feet of Jesus. Rip the roof off. Will we rip the roof off for one another? Will we? Do we have that kind of passion that says no matter what, no matter what it takes, oh, I'm ripping this thing off. Because the word in Luke 5 says that by his friend's faith, he was healed. Be careful of those people who leave you in the victim seat. You're a victor. Jehovah Nisi, fight my battles. That's the banner. The battle belongs to him. Be careful of those people who won't confront to call you higher. And then here's what else I'm gonna say. Honor those who will. Honor those who do. Here's the thing, when done in love, it won't hurt. I mean, it may, just like, but the Lord's gonna reveal to you, I needed that. I needed that. And if I don't allow people to speak into my life, that's not a teachable heart. We're called to have that. For those who are closest to us, say thank you this week to those who have done that for you. Cause it's for your good that they've done it. It's because they love you that they've called you higher. Thank you to those in my life who have done that. We need that in our lives. Will we be that kind of church? Will we be the kind of church that'll rip the roof off? See, that's not an apathetic Christianity. That's not a dead faith. Like James 2 talks about faith without works is dead. Mm-mm. That wasn't dead faith. They were like, whatever it takes because Jesus is worth everything I've got. Everything I've got to get to him, everything. Then we see this right hand. I mean, again, it's just one specific thing that Luke wants us to hear, that the Lord wants us to hear, the right hand. The right hand is used 166 times in scripture. So clearly that's no coincidence, it's important. The right hand means strength and authority. So as Peter is saying, here's my hand in the name of Jesus, walk. I am offering to you as a prophetic statement in the name of Jesus and only by his name that those things that you have never been able to stand on, oh, today you're gonna walk all over what the enemy meant for harm. So I am lowering my right hand. And as that lame man that we don't even know his name lifted his hand, what would even make him think 
that after over 40 years, he could just stand up. But he knew, he knew he had just had an encounter with Jesus. And so he said, I give it to you. Instantly, the Bible says he was healed, instantly. And then he jumped and he walked and he praised. He didn't say, let me just try these things out. No, no, he was up and then he moved. Then he moved. He went in praising the Lord. Isaiah 41, 13 says this, for I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. God is turning the light back on in your life. Let him do that for you. Let him turn the light back on, reminding you who you are, your call and your destiny and the beauty, the things that he's woven in you. Are we all struck by him? The people knew this man because they had passed him every day, says in the word. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. What if we just said, oh, today I have breath in my lungs. I'm all struck by you, Lord. I'm all struck as I drive in in the, the beautiful sky and the clouds and the flowers and the, all of it. Let wonder fill us again. Are we passionate about the things of the Lord? Acts 4 reads this. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. Right after that piece in Acts 3, when the man went into the temple courts, Peter preached. He said, I'm, I'm literally walking with the testimony. With the testimony of how good our God is, how faithful he is. And after 40 years, it could have felt like an eternity to this man. 40 years is a long time. He was placed at this gate every day, placed at this gate every day. Probably his only hope was to hope that he made more than he did the day before. 5,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Can we be all struck by that? The yes, the yes. Even in imminent danger, here was Peter in imminent danger, knowing he was gonna get arrested. And still he preached on. Despite what the enemy meant for harm, God was working for good. Peter and John were brought before the rulers and elders and teachers and they asked, by what power or what name did you do this? You asked, here's the answer. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. 
but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. 5,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Arguably more. 5,000 is a beautiful number. That says men, women and children were there as well. <laughs> a lot. A lot of people said, yes, I wanna know that Jesus. It says in Acts 4.13, right after that original, that these were ignorant, untrained, uneducated men. That's how the ruler saw them. <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's me on a good day. But let's start a revolution. That's what the disciples were doing. Train, uneducated, ignorant, who cares? In the name of Jesus, walk. That's who he is. The man was holding on to Peter and John. Here's something I just wanna share even in the healing. Even in the healing, you still need people around you. You still need people around you. You need people who are gonna help you get to the next step and the next step. I need people around me who are gonna help me get to the next step and the next step and the next step. When I walk in and I may look like, oh, okay, I'm doing it. If one of you stopped and prayed for me, I would be undone and it would be over. I'd be like, that's the church and that better be what I do for you. That's the church being the church. The church saying, I see you because the light shines in me, because I am a house of power because of Jesus Christ. Will I give that away? Are we passionate? I wanna be so passionate that there is nothing that can keep any one of us from the feet of Jesus. Because if you can't get there on your own, I wanna take you there and same, and same. Are we that kind of church full of his presence? Do we stop and pray for each other? Do we praise him with all that we have in us? Do we carry passion outside of these walls to help others see and know him by who we are and how we live? Four years ago, I was introduced to this world as our oldest son joined the rowing team at UNC Chapel Hill. He became part of this thing called a crew. It's organized and it's purposed. This kind of band of, of brothers, if you will, they had to trust one another, believe in one another and work as one. Here's a picture of Jacob's actual boat as it was racing in one of the races. I learned a lot about 
what a boat houses over these four years. So down here at the bottom, go with me for a moment on this. Down here at the bottom is the coxswain. In their case, it was a young lady. She's tiny, petite. You have to be kind of small because you know, you're at the, at the bow of the boat. That's a tiny part of the boat. So her job is to direct and steer. She's the only one that can see where they're going. The only one. So here, right in front of her is seat eight. You would think seat eight would be up there, but it's not, that's seat one. Seat one passes the finish line first. So seat eight is down here. Seat eight is the stroke setter. It's the one that listens to the coxswain. Here's what he or she is saying, in this case, she, and then rows with the stroke that she is telling him to row. Seat seven is the buffer seat. That's the translator, the one who translates the stroke to seats six, five, four, and three. Six, five, four, and three are the powerhouse. They're the muscle of the boat. They're the strength. Seats two and one are the stabilizers. Again, usually smaller in stature because they're at that narrow part of the boat. So go with me on this thought. What if seats one and two were the praise? Seats three, four, five, and six were the passion. And seats seven and eight were the prayer. His presence is in us, filling us. Our praise always goes first. Our adoration and our affection before the Lord is always our first portion. That's always our offering. Holy, holy, holy. And then the passion. Those places that are within us, that are deep, that say, this is my part of this team. This is what I can bring. And I'm gonna do it with all my might, with all the strength that I have in me. I'm gonna leave everything on the water. And then seats one and two, seven and eight. They're the stroke setters. Pressing in with prayer. Are we a house of prayer? Do we believe that God is who he says he is? Will prayer press us to the finish line? Last month when we were in Tennessee watching Jacob row, I was moved to tears for multiple reasons, but it's the last time he was gonna row. But really I was moved for this moment of thinking about these eight oarsmen and this one young lady as they move throughout the water, all trusting one another. It's a laying down of oneself. It is an honor. It's saying, I, I'm gonna believe you and I'm gonna believe you that we're all in the same stroke, all a unified force together. Here's a video from the distance as they row. And it looks so calm and so serene. Now, if the, 
if the volume was up on this, I'm like, go UNC! I'm ridiculous. So it's a lot happening on the, if the volume were up. But see how peaceful it looks? It looks so sweet and serene. And then you get up closer to this video and then you can see where their muscles are pulling, their muscles are moving. And right here, what you don't know is that's UNC, that second one, obviously the colors. This team is, is passing them. They go on to win that race. So they had to dig deep. That girl had to say, hey, y'all, y'all losing. Let's figure it out. We need a new game plan. Will you trust me? And then the next stroke, will you trust me? And then the next, will you trust me? And then the next, will you trust me? They all have their portion to play. They all have their place, their gifts given. Will you trust? When Jacob started, I was given this book by my mother-in-law. It's called Boys in the Boat. It's all about the 1936 Olympic team. It was during a very critical time in history. Um, I'm not gonna talk about that right now, but it, it's, it's a beautifully written book. It's quite poetic. Um, and it's a real like inspiring story. But the US Olympic rowing team went on to win that year in Berlin. But this is the book that I was introduced to this term called the swing. The swing is this invisible force that separates good teams from great teams. It's a feeling, it is a spirit. The same feeling you get when you walk into a room and see the tight knit group of people passionately working towards something they know is the most important thing. It is indescribable, yet everyone wants it. So the coach of the 1936 team, Al Albertson, writes this about the swing. There is a thing that happens in rowing that is hard to achieve and hard to define. Many crews, even winning crews, never really find it. It's called swing. It only happens when all eight oarsmen are rowing in such perfect unison that no single action by any one is out of sync with those of all the others. Only then will it feel as if the boat is part of each of them moving as if on its own. Only then does pain give way to exaltation. Rowing then becomes a kind of perfect language. Poetry, that's what a good swing feels like. The swing is creating something that is far better together than I could create on my own or that you could create on your own. It's a synchronization of synergy. That's what a swing is. There's a picture of this team. They're all the way at the end. You can see they won by a nose, literally. They beat Italy, they beat Germany, the two favorite teams. It's an inspiring story. One of the rowers, his name was Joe Rance. It is written in the book about him that the night that they won this evening, after they won Olympic gold in 1936, that the rest of the team went out to celebrate, but he could not. It is written that he stays up all night long, staring at his gold medal with this reflection. As he sat gasping for air in the Husky Clipper, while it drifted down the Langer Sea beyond the finish line, an expansive sense of calm had enveloped him. In the last desperate few hundred meters of the race, in the searing pain and bewildering noise of the final furious sprint, there had come a singular moment when Joe realized with startling clarity 
that there was nothing more that he could do to win the race beyond what he was already doing, except for one thing. He could finally abandon all doubt, trust absolutely without reservation that he and the boy in front of him and the boys behind him would all do precisely what they needed to do at precisely the instant that they needed to do it. He had known in that instant that there could be no hesitation, no shred of indecision. He had no choice but to throw himself into each stroke as if he were throwing himself off a cliff and to avoid it with unquestioned faith that the others would be there to save him from catching the whole weight of the shell on his blade. And he had done it over and over, 44 times per minute. He had hurled himself blindly into his future, not just believing, but knowing that the other boys would be there for him. All of them, moment by precious moment. Who will I trust to help me get to the finish line? What is our swing? Are we in unison? Do we trust one another? If we all believe for the same thing, in the same one, then our hearts should applaud when something great happens. It should cry when something sad happens. That's the swing. That's the place that says, oh, oh, bud, I've got great news for you. There's a God who loves you and who wants everything good for you. Will you trust him? Will you trust those around you? Will you be part of the swing? Will you be part of the swing? The worship team's gonna come out. This is the moment. This is the moment that you get to say, I see you reaching down, Jesus. I see you reaching down. Will you reach up? Will you reach up? Our prayer team will be on the sides. Let it be a marked moment. Let it be a three in the afternoon moment where your healing comes today in whatever way you need your healing to come. Whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's mental. He just says, will you trust me? In the name of Jesus, walk. That's who he is. And then as we come in here and get filled up, find our people, get in a group, start serving, whatever our portion is in our church, then we get to go out there and tell a world who's sitting by the gate, hey, I've got a real beautiful story to tell you. 
because I'm a walk and breathe in testimony of the goodness of God. And so are you, even if it doesn't feel like it right now. Our God's a God of turnarounds and He's making all things beautiful. So will you stand with me? For those in the room who may have never asked Jesus into your heart or may say, I, I, I've been sitting at the gate just cause I wanted to. I, I, I didn't wanna trust God. I don't wanna be let down. <laughs> Look at me, like Peter said, in the name of Jesus walk. It's not by anything that I can say or do. It's only by Him. Will you let Him be that to you today? Will you let Him be that for you today? Remember, the righteous and their children are never forsaken or begging bread. He is good and He wants to make all things new today. Will you make the choice and let him? Our prayer team is here. We have communion in the back. We're just staying engaged with worship. But whatever it is, lay it before him. Lay it before him and trust that you've got people surrounding you that will rip the roof off to get you to the feet of Jesus. You are loved. God, we thank you and we give it all to you. It is only by you. Our offering is only for you. Our praise, and we lift up our hearts to you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.